Welcome to Life in the Leadership Lane. I'm your host, Bruce Waller, where I am getting to talk to leaders that are making a difference in the workplace and in our community. What did they do to get started and what are they doing to stay there? And today we're getting to talk to Jennifer McClure. Jennifer is the CEO of Unbridled Talent and Disrupt HR. She's also a podcaster. She has the She's the host of Impact Makers podcast. She's also a keynote speaker. I got to see you at SHRM 2021, and I am so glad to have you on the show. Hey, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me on this show, Bruce. You've had a lot of great people on here before, so I'm in good company. You are, I, listen, whenever I start doing my podcast, you are definitely on my list to have you on the podcast. I've learned so much from you. And whenever I have different people on the podcast, I'm always thinking back about when I met them or when they came into my path. And for you, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I met you at my first SHRM conference when I was the president of Dallas HR, and that was in 2012 in Atlanta. So do you remember oh, being wow. in Atlanta in 2012? I do remember being in Atlanta in 2012, but I don't know that I remember that we met there. <laughs> Probably not, because I remember I walked into your session. They call it a mega session for a reason. The room was absolutely packed. I think you might've been talking about personal branding, but I just remember your approach and it was so good. You had so many ideas and I remember uh, having those takeaways. And so I remember, and I've followed you ever since then. I've got to see you speak in San Antonio. I've seen you speak at a couple of other SHRM events. And so really admire your speaking. Well, that's awesome. It's so great to hear the stories of how we connect with each other and the fact that uh, we've continued to learn from each other during that time. So that's awesome. You know, we're going to talk about uh, leadership today and we're going to talk about, you know, you talk a lot about personal branding. You also talk about the future of work. And I want to talk about all of that. But before we get started, I would love to hear you share just a brief highlight about your organization, Unbridled Talent. Sure. And how you serve your customers. Yeah. Well, with Unbridled Talent, I am basically a professional speaker. So my, my little tagline for myself these days is that I'm an educator, a professional speaker, and a leadership coach. And that's evolved over the year. I spent about 20 years of my career as an HR leader and executive with kind of the full generalist responsibilities. So did all the recruiting and everything else, and then did a stint as an executive search consultant for about three and a half years and got a uh, executive coaching certification during that time. So took all of that in, you know, with thrills and excitement into starting my own business in 2010. And it's been a journey. You know, I did some consulting in the beginning. I did a lot of speaking for free in the beginning. Um, and after about probably three plus years, I said, I need to focus on one thing and that's going to be speaking. That's where I feel like I can really add the most value for leaders around the world. And that was the right decision. And even with a little bit of a, a hiccup and a pause during a global pandemic, uh, speaking looks a little different or has looked a little different. It's the best thing I've ever done. You know, I, I hashtag a lot of my social media posts when I'm on the road with living the dream. And that's not just cliche for me. It's true. I love that. You know, when they, uh, I, you know, you hear when you find the work you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I love that. Hey, but I, I want to go back uh, to that, to that moment when you decided to start your own company and you mentioned, I did a lot of speaking for free. Yeah. So like, what was that like? Uh, because it's got it. There's got to be some, there had to be some fear in there. I mean, it's like probably very exciting, but yet, you know, you've got to, you've got to pay the bills. What was that like? 
well, we could do a series of podcasts on the mistakes <laughs> and failures of starting your own business. <laughs> but there was there was an original attempt or, or thought of doing so when I left the corporate world. You know, the company I worked for had been sold and I stayed a little too long and then got invited to leave and kind of found myself out there. And I think like a lot of senior executives who you know, maybe you're, I was burnt out. It had been a turnaround situation and we had worked really hard and been very successful, but it was just a lot of work and a lot, it took a lot out of me. And so I think um, I took about a month and a half off thinking that I was just going to have all this money coming in because everybody would want to hire me. And then I thought, well, I don't really want to go back and do corporate HR work. Um, I'm going to start my own business, you know, because that's, it's like kids today or with college. It's like, I'm graduating high school. I don't know what I want to do. I'll go to college. You know, I think for a lot of leaders, it's, I don't know what I want to do. I'll start my own business. And so I engaged a career coach, thankfully, um, with the idea that he was just going to tell me that I was amazing and why hadn't I started my own business already? You know, I, I don't, I think that honestly, that's what I thought. <laughs> and thankfully he did not say that. He said, you, you may be amazing and it may be the right decision for you to start your own business, but we need to go out and explore this first and actually talk to some other people and get their thoughts and opinions on not only you starting your own business, but some other things that might be, you might be a good fit for. And so he impressed upon me the importance of getting out and talking with uh, other people, aka networking, which I had never done. Uh, I claimed I didn't know anybody. He swore up and down that I did. And I said, no, no, really, I don't. Uh, so he gave me the remedial version. He gave me three contacts, uh, the owner of the firm that he was doing coaching through, which was an executive search firm and a couple of his prior clients to kind of start my networking journey. And my job as his client was to go out and talk to people about the idea of uh, not necessarily me starting my own business, but if they were people who had started their own business, what had that involved or, or what was involved in that process? And maybe what would they recommend to me as a person considering that? But then also the same thing for corporate HR work. And then uh, we also added executive search because he asked me to pick three things or recruiting, not executive search. And so as I went out and talked with leaders uh, about their journeys, I began to learn so much. And I realized this networking thing actually was very cool when you did it the right way. I wasn't out looking for a job because I was thinking in the back of my mind, I was going to start my own business. So never once did I like send somebody my resume and say, Hey, do you know anybody that's hiring or, you know, can you help me get a job? What I said was, is you're a person who has started your own business. And I'd like to hear about your journey, or you're a person who has reached a leadership level. I, I talked to a lot of women leaders. You're a, a woman leader that I admire in my community. I'd love to talk to you about your journey. And so the magic in networking was really in learning from others about their experience. And then I would kind of finish it up with saying, you know, depending on, again, what their situation was, well, I'm thinking about starting my own business. What advice would you have to share with someone like me? Or what would you recommend that I do? So it was an easy networking interaction. They got to talk about themselves and they got to share their advice and they got to leave. They're not feeling guilty that they had told me they would take my resume and give it to somebody when nobody ever does that. Um, <laughs> during all of those conversations, and I had dozens and dozens during about a three-month period, it became kind of fun, uh, even for an introverted me. 100% of the people, when I did talk about starting my own business and they heard a little bit about my journey and kind of what I'd experienced in my career, 
hundred percent of the people said, please don't start your own business. <laughs> You're not ready. Uh, you've never done any kind of business development. You're not really clear on what you would offer or, you know, what you would have to sell. And it's not that you can't ever start your own business, but you need to at least learn from somebody else, how to build relationships, how to develop business before you even consider hanging up your own shingle and saying, hire me. Because right now no one would, because you wouldn't know what they would need to hire you for. And so they kept kind of steering me back to the firm. Again, I was doing career coaching, a gentleman that worked as a career coach in the offices of an executive search firm. And so they kept steering me back to that search firm and saying, these are relationship builders. They're not transactional recruiters. Maybe that would be a good place for you to consider working where you could learn from someone how to build relationships because I'm not a cold caller. Uh, so I kind of went back with my tail between my legs to the owner of the search firm and said, people keep telling me that I might be a good recruiter and that if I wanted to be a recruiter, that this would be a great place to work. And he's just a, a wonderful, wonderful servant leader to many people. His name is Mike Sipple Sr. and the firm is Centennial Inc. And he gave me a shot and challenged me with, he said, typically people from HR don't succeed in this business because it's a whole different ballgame to be on this side of the table when you don't hold all the cards. And he told me that it would take me about six to nine months to earn my first paycheck because my job during that time would be out building relationships to develop the opportunity to work with people in the future. So I took that. I'm very competitive. I was like, oh, you say six to nine months. I must do better than that. You tell me that I'm only going to make half of what I made in corporate. Uh, I'm going to do better than that. And so it was kind of ironic. I decided to get an executive coaching certification. And that was a, I believe, 12-week uh, training course through a local university. And in that course, I met a business owner built a relationship with her, became friends, and she and her brother were the co-owners of a family-owned business, uh, and they had decided they were growing, and they needed a whole new executive team, and she asked me to help them with that process. So not only did I make money within the first three months, I was the most successful recruiter, first-year recruiter they'd ever had in the history of their firm, but it came out of a relationship. So that was the first time spent three, almost three years or three and a half years at Centennial and enjoyed that. But during that time, because so many people had given back to me while I was in transition, sharing their advice, their tips. And I'd heard one gentleman at an executive meeting, uh, CEO of a financial services firm say that so many people were helpful to him during his process that he had decided to give away 10% of his time to help people whenever he became employed again. So I took that to heart and I said, I was going to give away 10% of my time to senior level executives in career transition to just help them. And if you know anything about executive search firms, they don't usually do that. That's not the business model. You know, you're working for the clients, helping them to find a specific person, not spending time finding jobs for candidates. And I still didn't do that, but I would take anyone's call or schedule an appointment to meet with them to help them with their resume or their interviewing skills or to encourage them to get out and network. And I also started showing them how to use LinkedIn because LinkedIn was relatively new and I had discovered it. And so I would turn my computer screen around and say, here's how you build a profile. Here's how you can use it for networking. 
And those leaders then when they became employed or they went back to organizations they were a part of said, hey, let's get Jennifer to come in and talk to our team or our community about using LinkedIn or networking or personal branding. And so I started just doing that to help people. And then it became enough that uh, I started charging a little bit because it was taking me away from my day job. And after a while, I was like, hey, this is actually what I really love to do. And so made the decision and it was a, a process in and of itself, but long story short, just finally said, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to do it. Um, I have learned a little bit about relationship building and client development. Uh, I want to do speaking and I thought I wanted to be a consultant. And so when I started my business, I was much clearer in February, 2010 on what I would do and how I would get paid. And I had already I had some clients and I had some opportunities lined up below poverty level for sure, but with a lot of uh, <laughs> confidence, uh, whether that was accurately placed or not, that I could figure it out and make a go of it just as I had hopefully figured out recruiting and before that had figured out HR. So sure, started with some fear, but was much better prepared three years later than I know I would have 100% been a statistic like everyone else. If I'd started my business, it probably would have lasted one or two months. And then somebody would have offered me a job that I would have hated. And I would have said, yes. <laughs> you know, isn't it a gift to have people in your life that will tell you how it is yes. and that will, you know, be truthful with you and, and challenge you. I, I love that. There's so much there where you're talking about, you're talking about networking, you're talking about the importance of serving. I know there's a lot of people listening that are part of the HR community. Uh, many times they're out maybe even looking for their next job or their next career, their next role. And what you just talked about networking is the, the, the way that high performers typically get traction. And that is, hey, let me learn more about them and what they're doing. And maybe I can help them uh, with what they're doing. I mean, that's yeah. basically what you were doing, right? Yeah. I mean, the reality is most of us do networking wrong. First of all, we don't build or maintain a network on an ongoing basis. We wait until we have a need, or oh, I'm going to be losing my job, or I lost my job, or I want to make a job change to go. Then you start spamming all your LinkedIn connections. Hey, haven't talked to you in like 12 years, but just wanted to check in and let you know I'm looking for a job. That's not networking. Or the proverbial, you know, can I buy you a cup of coffee, which I try to gently let people know, buy me a cup of coffee. Number one, that means you don't know anything about me because I don't drink coffee, never have, and I drink Diet Coke. So if you at least start with, I want to buy you Diet Coke, I know we're, we're sort of uh, in, in connection. But buy me a cup of coffee means uh, you asked for 30 minutes, it's probably going to be 45 minutes or an hour because we're going to get talking. I'm going to drive at least 30 minutes to get there and I'm going to drive yeah. at least 30 minutes home. So you just really asked for three hours of my time. And if I don't know you or if there's not some mutual reason for us to connect, I, I can't do that. Neither can anybody else. And those interactions often are... Uh, the person showing up, resume in hand or need in hand, I want this opportunity, or you know these people that I want to get to know, and they are all about need. And we as humans, most of us are good, and we want to help people. So right away, we know that this is not going to be a positive interaction because I don't have a job to offer this person, or I don't necessarily connect people with friends or relationships of mine that, mine that I don't know. 
So I'm going to be there. I'm going to be defensive. I'm going to tell you things to try to make you feel better and make me feel better. Like, sure, I'll take your resume and pass that along to HR, or I'll let my friends know that you're looking. Um, And we have good intentions when we say that, but we don't. Real networking is about connection. Mm. And so this, I need to network to get is the whole wrong approach. It's more about, I need to network to learn more about people so that I can find ways to help them. Mm. And that became, again, a really important part of my networking strategy during that transition time. I was meeting with a lot of great people, a lot of leaders. And so one of my questions to people that I was interacting with was, you know, I'm out here networking with a lot of people and I have met a lot of great relationships. Is there anyone or that you'd like to connect with or anything that you'd like to learn more about? And I'll see if I can recommend or connect you with that person. So offering to connect them with resources instead of showing up saying, who do you know? How can you help me to show up for a networking meeting to say, tell me about yourself. Tell me with your experience what you would recommend someone in my position do next. How can I help you? Who can I connect you with? And then leaving it at that. And now you've created, you know, someone told me once it's manipulative, but it's not. You've created sort of an indebtedness when you've Mm. offered to help, when you've given, and then that person leaves that interaction and says, well, mentally in the back of their brain, I need to find a way to help her or him. And they are looking for opportunities for you, or they do think of you when something, something crosses their desk that you might be a good fit for because you've developed a connection, not because you've made them aware of your need or your want and asked them to help you. So it's, I think I was fortunate enough. Again, I had a coach to kind of like wind me up and send me out, but it became really clear right away. I get results by looking at how I can help others rather than asking how people can help me. Yeah, no, you're, you're right on there. I mean, I, I, I there's been many times where people have uh, given me a referral, uh, maybe for my relocation business or maybe for speaking. And immediately my mindset went, I've got to figure out a way to help them. That was so uh, kind of them, so gentle. And by the way, uh, if you're listening right now, you need to get out your pen and your notepad uh, because uh, there's going to be so much gold here. Jennifer just said, real networking is the connection. Write that down. That is fantastic. I love, hey, let me ask you this. Are you still doing executive coaching? I know you said you're a speaker, but do you still do that? I do. Uh, Pre-pandemic, I was like 100% in on speaking, and I might take on one or two executive coaching clients a year uh, that were just a really good fit. Um, But during the pandemic, uh, ramped up that coaching because not only were more people asking for it, but it was the perfect time to, you know, be here every week, set aside a day for coaching and to really connect with executive leaders on how they can grow their careers. And then lately, I've had a lot of interest in people looking for personal branding coaching. So I've kind of developed that out. Uh, I think people, again, during during this time have discovered a couple of things uh, about building a personal brand. Number one, how do you do that in a virtual world and do it effectively? And number two, the importance of it in our world where people do judge and um, make decisions about you and your career based off of your online presence or what they know about you. And there's a lot of noise out there. So how do you kind of like uh, rise above the noise? Even if you're not a person who's saying, I'm looking for a job, but maybe you just want opportunities in your existing job. 
how do you get noticed in a virtual world or how do you get noticed in a noisy world? I think developing a strong personal brand is more important than ever. I love that. And, and I want to, I want to just go ahead and dive into that just real quick, because I think a lot of people are talking about it and many times they're just not quite sure how to start. And I know that you've got some resources on your website. And, and by the way, I'll, I'll give a testimony right now that I remember listening to you on impact makers podcast, and you were talking about personal branding mm-hmm. and you mentioned uh, about uh, the exercise that's on your, on your website about uh, having uh, your network share three words. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are they thinking about whenever you're not in the room, whenever they're thinking about you, what right. comes to mind? And I remember starting to put together kind of my, my personal brand and it eventually it led into my purpose. And that is on my website, moving leaders to inspire and change the workplace. Um, and that's the, yeah. And that's part of the life and leadership lane book. And that kind of started there. And so I, for someone listening right now, number one, how important is personal branding? And number two, if someone just said, okay, yeah, I want, I want to just tap my, uh, dip my toe in it and just kind of see where I, where I stand. What would you say to that? I have a lot to say about that, Bruce. <laughs> I have multiple <laughs> podcast episodes about that, a workbook you can use and a keynote that you can hire it for. Um, and I do in personal brand coaching now. Um, but why is it important? Well, again, it's about opportunity. So often, particularly for if it's a corporate client, they're like, well, you're not going to come in here and talk about personal branding to teach our people how to get other jobs, are you? Um, or if it's someone who's happy in their role, they're like, I don't need to worry about my personal brand because I'm happy. Well, do you want to work on more complex projects? Do you Mm. want to get the opportunity to work in other areas of the business? Do you have other interests outside of what you're doing day to day? Do you want to get promoted in your existing job? Do you want to have opportunities outside of work to serve on boards of organizations that you are fond of or to do things in the community where you would like to get more attention to the project? All of those things can be done by building a strong personal brand. So it really does matter. And and truthfully, even the people who say they're completely happy where they are, they're bored or stagnant in some ways. You know, so how do you continue to grow, to develop, to keep things new, to keep things fresh, and to position yourself for the perfect opportunities for you? Not just, you know, the next job title that you mm. might get, but for opportunities, maybe even people people to see you in a role outside of your current career path. So it's really important for those who, again, maybe especially if you are uh, aggressive and intentional about growing your career and title and salary and and responsibility, obviously you're going to have to have a personal brand to continue to get noticed and get tapped for those opportunities. But even for people who maybe aren't that, you know, interested in title or responsibility, but they want to do interesting work. So I think it's really Mm -hmm. important. I like what you said. Interesting work. I love that. And, you know, uh, you had actually mentioned, uh, and I think it was on your LinkedIn profile whenever I was looking it up, but I actually uh, saw you took a class on mastering self-leadership. And I thought that was interesting. I would love to know a little bit about that. Like what, what was that all about? And number two, does that fit into personal branding? Yeah. Uh, and my friend, Laurie Rudiman teaches that on LinkedIn learning. So um, you should check out all of her courses. She has a brand new one on, and I forget the title of it, but it's another one. It's a great one around leadership. 
Um, so I did attend and watch that course because I think it is important. You know, Laurie's whole premise is that, you know, to, to fix work, you have to fix yourself first. And so in that course, she, she reminds us of the importance of how you lead yourself. You know, we, we tend to focus on and read books about, you know, how can I be a better leader to serve the people that work for me or, or around me? But if I'm not making sure that I am setting goals for my own personal growth and development, that I am working on developing and improving uh, weaknesses or areas that I know myself or that have been pointed out to me, then I'm not going to be the most effective leader that I can be. If I'm not setting an intentional networking strategy, if I, you know, there's just multiple things that we all need to develop. And I think too long, especially if you work in the corporate world, we turn over the responsibility for our personal development to HR or to our manager and say, you know, maybe once a year when we have that performance review discussion, I'd like to go attend this class on dealing with difficult people, or they say, you need to go attend this class about being a difficult person, <laughs> you know? So, so we wait for someone else to say, here's my plan for you to grow and develop instead of saying back to that kind of personal branding expert ex exercise, what am I good at? Where am I best? What are my gifts and talents? How can I grow and expand those? But then also, what are some areas that to get to where I want to go or to have the opportunities that I want, I need to also invest time and energy in developing that. So I think self-leadership and personal branding are really closely linked. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, you mentioned Lori Ruderman. She's got a, a new book out. I think it was actually 2020. It was published. It might have been 2021. January 2021. 2021. Betting on you. You need to check that out. Uh, you yeah. can check that out on Amazon. Hey, let me ask you a question. Since we, uh, you had mentioned this executive coach that kind of helped you kind of get in alignment. And then you just now mentioned Lori. I always like to ask about mentors. Like, did you have some mentors on your journey that have helped you get to where you are today? And if so, like, who were they and what was it that helped you? All of the people that I would consider my most effective mentors are not people that I reached out to. They mm. were people that uh, either saw something in me or had a vested interest in me and they wanted to develop me first. And then it became someone that I can learn from. The first two were bosses, you know, so not every boss is a good boss. And I might've had a couple that weren't that great, but the first one was a guy again, and we never, ever once said, you're officially my mentor, but I wanted to learn from him. And, you know, he was at the position that I was aspiring to be in. So, you know, how did you asking how you approach the scheduling time to learn about, you know, what he thought, how he approached things, why he did things certain ways. So I was very curious about his career. And in turn, again, because he valued me, he invested in me. Uh, second one was again, a boss, someone who we were in a turnaround situation, a very difficult situation. So I learned a lot from him, but he intentionally invested in me, constantly told me that I was valued and made recommendations for me for how I could be more effective, effective. But again, we never sat down and said, would you mentor me? Oh, wise one. No, he was 35 and I was 45 and he was in his <laughs> first job as a CEO. And I had been in you know my career for 15 years or whatever it was. So it wasn't like I approached it as this is someone that needs to be an official mentor me, but I could learn a lot from him because of his education, his experience and his new view and approach to life. The other two would be people that, you know, maybe have been guests on your podcast or should be, um, you know, Laurie Rudiman is one. 
I started reading Laurie's blog in 2008, I think it was, might've been 2007. Uh, Chris Dunn of the HR Capitalist mm. was one of the first blogs that I started reading. There were about two or three that I kind of discovered very early on in the, the blogging craze and uh, get it, figuring out how to use the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris linked to Laurie's or one of her original blogs. She had many, but it was an anonymous blog called Team Building is for Suckers. And she became someone I, I went, I followed the link over to her blog. I liked her sense of humor. I liked what she was writing about. And eventually she came out and became punk rock HR and announced who she was. And I just really, she blogged every day, seven days a week. And I learned a lot from her. And I tell everyone this, including Laurie, she knows this. Be, let's put a percentage, 75% of the time, if you've ever read Laurie's stuff, she's got a strong opinion and a point of view. Probably 75% of the time we differ on that strong opinion or point of view. And so I would read her blog and I'd be like, oh my gosh, no, never, not that. But then I would ask myself, Number one, she's a great writer that's extremely well written. Her thoughts are expressed in a, a very clear way. And I would say, I disagree with her opinion, but can I articulate my own mm. effectively? And mm. most of the time I couldn't. I could just, you know, like most of us now online, you're wrong. Well, <laughs> tell me more. You're just wrong. You know, we don't take the time to really kind of look inward and say, why do I feel that way? Why is Laurie wrong? And I'm right. And so her mentorship was virtual in the sense that it really caused me to evaluate my own opinions, to put them up against her educated, researched, you know, well thought out opinions and begin to develop my sense of leadership and sensibilities mm. and values more. And so I started reading her blog in maybe 2007. I met her finally in person in 2009 at the Sherm Annual Conference in New Orleans. Uh, it was my first Sherm conference and I was writing for Fistful of Talent at the time. Chris Dunn had connected me with that. And he got me a press pass and said, if you can get yourself here, then, then come and join us. And then recruitingblogs.com reached out and said, we see you're going to Sherm. If we give you a flip cam uh, and $400 towards your expenses, <laughs> will you record video interviews with anybody and everybody at the conference? And so I recorded, if anybody's ever been to the Sherm conference, uh, there was always, and there's, I believe he's still there, a guy who has every pin from every Sherm conference known to man. He's been to like a hundred <laughs> and he wears like a, a Boy Scout satchel with, and a vest and a hat. Wow. It's just covered with pins. So I interviewed the pin guy to, to hear, about, and I asked Lori, I reached out to her and I said, you're going to be at the Sherm conference and I am too. Can I interview you? So that was the first time we met in person. And she decided to adopt me. I guess because I was so pitiful <laughs> as her, as her best friend. Um, and so, you know, we had three plus years of good mentorship before we ever met in person and before we became BFFs. And I still disagree with her on a ton of things. We, we you know, we don't, we align on a lot of values, but we also don't align on a lot of the ways we approach work or the things. And I really value that in her as a mentor for me, again, because it forces me to think about my own. And then the last one, uh, it's really two people, Mike Sipple Sr., Mike Sipple Jr. at Centennial Inc., the recruiting firm that I worked for, one being the senior and older than me, and one being the junior and much, much younger than me. But I learned so much from them about servant leadership. And again, they invested in me mm. um, as just a human that, that 
they saw as someone worthy of investment in, not because I eventually worked for them or on their team. Uh, but over the years, they've just given me so much and always been supportive and encouraging. And I've learned from their example, again, learned how to build relationships, learned how to develop business, learned how to be a person of integrity, working and moving in about in a world where that's sometimes, uh, it's not difficult, but it's challenged a lot. Um, but again, never sat down with either one of them and said, well, you mentor me, but they chose to invest in me. Very, very uh, interesting and fascinating. I, I tell you, the words that I wrote down as you're talking, belief, invested, valued, people believing in you. I love that. And how you also talked about how you didn't really ask them to be your mentor, uh, yeah. but you got curious. You really leaned into like you wanted to learn more. And I think they saw that and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to you know, um, invest. And I just, I just love that. Well, let, let me ask you this. I, I just, I'm always curious about someone that has uh, found their lane, right? I like to use the term, find your lane from my first book. Right. Someone has found their lane and you obviously have been speaking for a long time, executive coaching. When did, like, was there a moment when you said, I absolutely love what I do when I found my purpose or were there little moments over time? Like, do you, do you recall that moment? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say little moments over time. Again, once I started being asked to speak, even if it was to 30 people in a church basement, um, I was like about 10 years into my HR career, I had sat in a training class with a consultant that I'd engaged to come in and, and do union avoidance training because I was sick of doing it and it was totally boring and it was an mm. annual required training and everybody hated it. So I was like, I'm going to get somebody else to do this. And he came in and he made it fun. Our supervisors were laughing. He was telling great stories. I mean, everybody left there talking about how awesome the union avoidance training was. And I was like, I want to do what he does. He's standing up there sharing his knowledge, his wisdom, his stories, and people are learning from it rather than me going, it's time for our annual training. And here's the 12 reasons why you can't do this and don't ever do that or I'll <laughs> write you up. Um, you know. And so I kind of had that seed planted about 10 years in my career. And it was about 20 years in my career when I was working at Centennial and I started helping these executives and they started inviting me in. And once that mm. started happening, I was like, I had told people after I started working at Centennial because I really, really fell in love with the relationship building as mm -hmm. I kind of shared earlier. Yeah. Um, I liked finding the right people and leadership mm. roles for organizations. And I told more than one person at that time, I am working at my highest and best use. This is the best use for my gifts and talents. I don't see myself ever doing anything different. And then I started being invited to speak and I was like, mm. wait a minute, this might be the highest and best use. <laughs> um, so as I started doing that, you know, as a speaker, it is, uh, you know, a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Feedback. Feedback is a blessing and a curse. There's the people that come up once you walk off the stage who they probably 99.9% .9 of the time came up to tell you something positive. They're like, you're amazing. You changed my life. So who doesn't like that? I mean, nobody, yes. nobody wants to not be told that you're amazing or mm. what you just said really resonated with me. Um, and then there are the people at the same same session who will write you anonymously later that it was the worst thing they ever heard and that mm. it was totally not worth their time. Uh, but to hear not just the people who would come up and say, great job, but to have, uh, and it hap it's happened so many times. And if I were a 
a smarter person, I would have written down all these things over the years and it would have been a great book. But um, <laughs> I, I remember one specific that maybe that was when I know I cried. It was at the Sherm Annual Conference. I believe it was in Chicago and it was a mega session. Um, that was, a, I think, the, the first or second day of the conference, second day of the conference. And there were 2,000 plus people in the room. So it's, you know, speaking on a stage where you can't even see the back of the room because of the way it's lit or whatever, but you can see that there's a few people that get it. And there are people that come up afterwards and say, you know, really like this. Thank you for sharing. Great job. Can you come speak at our event? Whatever. And all that's wonderful. Um, but there was a woman who, and I, I Mary Faulkner, who you may also know, yep. uh, was there as well. And so she was kind of helping me out because there's a lot of like getting the mic on and off in a dress and <laughs> So she's standing there doing all, getting me unzipped and rezipped, and I'm changing out of my heels into my flats. And I, I notice there's a woman who's kind of sitting on the front row on the end, and the room's clearing out. You know, so two thousand people one by one, kind of wandering out. The line dwindles down to nobody, and Mary and I are, you know, figuring out how I can get redressed to go back out into the world. And this woman comes up to me and says, "I waited until everyone." is gone because I wanted to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, oh she's going to tell me I was terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> she said, I came early to the conference and attended all the pre-conference sessions. And I told myself before I came that I was going to come to this conference. I was going to go to every session I could go to. And I was going to decide if I'm going to stay in human resources or not, because mm -hmm. I'm really burnt out. I'm not happy in my job and I don't feel like I'm making a difference. So this conference is the deciding factor for me and whether or not I stay in this career and in the job that I'm currently in. And she said, your session made me feel like I can do anything in HR, that there is a huge opportunity for me in this career. And it's you know, I went to the first two days and I didn't feel that way, but I'm leaving your session and I'm going to stay and I'm going to recommit. And I know that I can make a difference. And I just started to cry because mm. that's, you know, you talk about impact makers. That's the impact that I want, that I inspire you to make a change or to do something or to believe. I think, you know, when, when people ask me kind of what's my core message, I want to help leaders see the opportunity that is before them and to step into that. And so anytime when someone comes up to me and tells me that something that I've said, shared, even if it's not, you know, at a speaking event, that it's something I wrote or shared online uh, or tweeted, uh, when I've inspired you to make a change or to believe in yourself, then I know that I'm in my purpose. And that doesn't happen every day, but when it does happen, it makes all the, this was the worst session I ever attended comments worth it. <laughs> which happens in the exact, you know, the same session where somebody waited behind to tell me I basically changed her life. Uh, there, I, there were comments like nothing new, didn't hear anything new in the session. She wasn't any good. So take it, take the good. Oh <laughs> my gosh. I have like, I have chills right now. That was a very, very powerful story. I just well, love and that. It happened. And, you know, I don't know if you experienced because you do speaking as well, Bruce, but it is. I mean, it becomes there's a busy season often, you know, mm. pre-pandemic. There's a spring and a fall where you're on the road every week. And, you know, again, you get good feedback and sometimes negative feedback. And sometimes you wonder if you did your best and sometimes, you know, you did your best. Um, but it's it's often towards like October, November when, you know, you're not going to 
probably be speaking much during December, January. And you're like, is it ever, you know, will I ever speak again? <laughs> you know, is this the last event? And, and so Sherm 2019, I don't know. I was kind of in a weird place uh, and I had two mega sessions there. I was blessed to have two mega sessions there. The first one, um, standing room only people sitting out in the hall sitting on the floor uh it was a new keynote for me and i felt like i really did really well and got some good feedback and then i went to the second session that was uh even bigger room but it was like the last session of the conference so it wasn't completely full but it was also a keynote that i've been doing for several years you know which i think works really well but you know it's it's i'm used to it so i went up there i gave it my all gave it my shot and you know after the end a few people came up uh, and again, another woman waited until everyone had left uh, and she came up to me and she was crying, like bawling. And, and she said, I just want to be you. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. you're kind of like, okay. But she said, I want to feel like you do, mm. that I can make a difference. Yeah. yeah. And she said, you really helped me. You know, so again, it's, I don't need somebody in tears or I don't need somebody yeah. to say, I want to be you. Um, but I, to see that impact and then to, to go into a pandemic when you're doing everything virtually, um, I had Todd Henry, who's a, a best-selling author, multiple best-selling author on my podcast, also a Cincinnatian. On my podcast last year, uh, he'd written a new book called The Motivation Code and it had an assessment with it. So he let me take the assessment before our podcast interview. And one of, I think it was my second um, motivator was making an impact. The first one was, I don't remember, making it being an influence or something. Influence and impact were mm. right up there. Mm -hmm. And before we started recording, we were kind of chatting about, you know, all these virtual presentations and how it's even more draining than in-person presentations. And it's just not as fulfilling. And, and I just can't wait to get back to speaking in person. And he's like, same. And he said, I noticed on your assessment that making an impact is your second highest motivating factor. And he said, for me, it's number one. He said, so the reason why it is so much more draining for you to do virtual presentations is you and I are both staring at the green dot. And he said, you can't see the impact that you're having. Mm. You know, when you're on a stage, even if they're, the lights are, are dimmed for most of the audience, you can see somebody in the front row who's mm. nodding or giving an affirmation, or even if they're kind of screwing up their face going, what? You know that your words are landing. And so when you're in the virtual room and you're looking at the green dot on your webcam, you don't know if what you're saying is landing. And so mm. it's harder for us. Okay. So Jennifer, I know that you also talk about you have a topic, the future of work. And I, I'm, I'm curious, and, and for all of the listeners now, what is, what's your perspective around the future of work? Are we in the future of work or is that in the future? Talk a little bit about that. And, and what do you typically share whenever you're speaking to, to, uh, to groups about this? That's actually, that's a great question. I love the way you phrase that. Are we in the future of work? Have we been in the future? We're always in the future of work. The future of work is today. That is not very quotable, but it is true. Here we are post pandemic and everyone's talking about talent shortages and skills gaps. So the future of work back then was how do you build talent? How do you reskill, upskill, pre-skill the people that you need so they have the skills you need for the future? And we're still in that today. So the future of work is ongoing, but the people and 
leaders in the organization always need to be looking out into the future and anticipating what's coming up next and also anticipating that some things won't go as planned, but really focusing in on how do we prepare our people with the skills that they need to address the challenges and the opportunities that we face. So the future of works now, today, tomorrow. Now, today, and tomorrow. I love that. I love that. Hey, I want to uh, just while I, well, you you mentioned something, and and I and I didn't mention this earlier, and I, I would just I'd love to get your perspective because I, I recently asked Kel Caburse uh, uh, um, about the Great Resignation, mm-hmm. and she framed it up as the Great Evaluation. I thought, ah, oh, mm. that is so good. Like we're yeah. reflecting. Um, so, what what what's your perspective on the Great Resignation? Like, is that a myth? Is that a fact? Is that real? What what, do you, what are your thoughts on it? I think the Great Resignation puts it in kind of a negative light. Like everybody's just waiting to leave you, um, <laughs> you know, or mm-hmm. or they're or they're gonna be leaving you. It's really much more, you know, LinkedIn's trying to make the great reshuffle a thing. It's, it's not really happening, but uh, the great evaluation, whatever mm-hmm. it is, I think we're in, a, we're in a time where for a lot of years, we scapegoated the millennials, that they were the ones that was, you know, always looking to, you know, make change, that they didn't want to be, you know, have stability or security in jobs, that they had these three and five year job hopping careers. I think that's everybody now, because not just the last 18 months or so of a global pandemic, but the realization that opportunity is out there for everyone. And in a lot of cases, uh, doesn't require you to relocate to get to it. Mm. Um, And also that opportunity involves more than just work success. It does involve life success, relationship success, family success. I think a lot of people have taken evaluation of those things over the last year and a half and said, I want more and more Mm. doesn't necessarily mean more job title, more money, uh, more promotions. It might mean more time Mm. for my hobbies. It might mean more time with my family. It might mean um, going into business for myself so that I can do more of the work that I love. So you know, she said it's the great evaluation. I'm going to call it the great reevaluation. We've reevaluated mm. our priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are seeing not only they're seeing that those opportunities are out there and that it is possible where in my generation, you know, again, I don't necessarily talk about generations, but when I grew up, it was like, you pick a career, you go into Mm -hmm. it, you're kind of stuck. Well, that's not played out for me either. And I'm not a millennial, but I think the majority people now realize I can choose what I want to do. And if what I'm doing is not fulfilling uh, or working for me right now, I can yeah. choose something else and I can even come back to this at some point. So I just think everyone's really got clarity around the fact that nothing has to last forever and you can pursue opportunities anywhere. I love that. You know, I think she actually said the great re-evaluation now that you said that. Oh, I, dang I, it. I, I thought it. I was being original. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, I was thinking about, you're right on. I remember whenever I took, uh, uh, decided to take the job at Armstrong Relocation. Wow, almost 18 years ago, 2004. I'm dating myself here. And how I really was going, I had been in a top leadership role for the last couple of companies. And what I was really going for was autonomy. Yeah. I was just, I wanted to be able to 
spend time with at my kids sporting events and not feel guilty about not being at a four o'clock meeting that afternoon or whatever. Now I had to sacrifice a little bit to get there. You know, there was, uh, it's, uh, you know, I took like a 50% pay cut uh, yeah. with the option to, you know, opportunity to, to make more in time, but it was just that. And I think people are, I think they're reflecting on what is important to them mm-hmm. right now and trying to figure out if they can get that. And I, I, I like that. I will tell you, when I first uh, wrote my first book called um, Find Your Lane, uh, Change Your GPS, Change Your Career, a lot of people took the title as if it was like, hey, you're going to move jobs. And sometimes change your career can mean change your perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. Maybe I need to double down on, on what I'm doing. So, or, or, or it could mean a, a job change. But uh, I do think it's a good time to reflect and reevaluate and make sure that we are creating. I mean, the, the word that keeps coming out whenever I'm talking to you is you, when you speak, you give people the feeling of uh, the, the possibilities and the joy, mm-hmm. like joy. And when you were talking about the lady earlier in your session, like she wanted to feel joy when she wanted to be you. Yeah. And I just love that. And I think people, when they're reevaluating, they're like trying to figure out how can I create that joy in my career and my life? Yeah. It's something I, you know, maybe my career coach taught me and that I've, I've really applied, I think both consciously and subconsciously when he talked about, you know, people who are, maybe they had, I had been fired, you know, so I went into that saying, well, I'm not really looking for a job, but if somebody does ask me about being fired, I had created this story in my head. And the first thing he said was, why did you leave your last job? And I immediately started to cry. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, no, 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 that was not supposed to happen. It's a good thing. Right. <laughs> but, but what he, he, he helped me to see was where I was situated at that time was a great opportunity. And he said, when you, if you do interview for a job, and you do have to talk about why you left your last job. You tell the story, you tell it truthfully. And again, for me, it was a great thing that I got fired because I stayed too long and I was too comfortable to leave. And finally the CEO was like, you gotta go. <laughs> so getting fired was in my best interest and we're great friends today. But he said, you've got to see, even if you, you know, let's say you can't pay, no, I wasn't in that situation, but let's say you're in between jobs, you can't pay your bills. Um, you're just really wanting to find something to, but you have to be excited about the opportunity. Mm. So when you're interviewing, you can say, you know, I'm in this situation because unfortunately I got let go. You don't even say, unfortunately, got to remove all that because I had to change out of my last career, but I'm excited about the opportunity to be here with you today, talking about this role, because I think it's a great, you know, so I, I just told somebody this last week, you drive that positive train so fast, mm-hmm. they got to get on with you. And, but that is how I approach things. I think in general um, is what does this make possible? You know, and I'm not, that's not original to me, but okay. So, you know, this happened, but what does this make possible? Or uh, I always tell my son this, you know, anybody that has a 20 something, you say this a lot. What is the next right step? Mm. Stop dwelling on where you are today. What's the next right step? And so mm. I do want to help people to see possibility. I think there's tremendous possibility, as I said earlier, for people leaders, um, but there's actually possibility out there for all of us if we just take the next right step. So good. Hey, have you ever, I always like to ask this question. Have you ever been given some advice? Like maybe it was from your family or friends growing up in the workplace. It was just so good. You just find yourself giving that advice often. 
Well, I wish it had been given to me personally, but uh, it's a Zig Ziglar quote. <laughs> you can have everything in life you want mm. if you help enough other people get what they want. And that may be uh, a little bit not exact, but it's basically what I said earlier when I was talking about the networking experience. If you want something, help other people get what they want, and more than likely, it'll come to you. I love that. I love that. Serve, serve, serve. Hey, well, I want to shift over to a uh, segment as we close out the, the podcast to uh, what I call is time to accelerate. And I always like to ask a question. You mentioned you're a podcast listener, but I'd I like that. Would you rather read a book or listen to a podcast? Listen to a podcast, 100%. <laughs> any, any favorites that stand out to you? Any that sure. you find yourself listening to? I actually made a grid of my nine favorites yesterday. Um, Work Life with Adam Grant is, is one of my favorites. Uh, revisionist History. I love, I was explaining to someone, my friend this week, I'm like, you just have to listen to that. His intellectual curiosity, Malcolm Gladwell's intellectual curiosity is so cute and fun and it makes learning fun. Uh, a couple of speaking podcasts I listened to, a uh, guest you had recently on your show, Jane Atkinson's uh, Wealthy Speaker podcast, and then the Speaker Lab with Grant Baldwin. Uh, as far as HR and, and people-related podcasts, I listen to a ton, but a new favorite is All Hands and Laurie Rudeman's Punk Rock HR. And then Online Marketing Made Easy with Amy Porterfield is mm. another one of favorites. Um, but I've got, I subscribe to about 20. I'll stop with that. <laughs> I've heard you talk about Amy Porterfield. A uh, big fan of Amy Porterfield. I've checked her out. That, that's really good. I love all those. I'll put all of those links in the show notes so people can check those out. Hey, I know that we've been through this incredible heaviness of the last uh, 16 months or so. I always like to ask, what are you, what are you most grateful for? I'm just grateful for my life. I wake up every day and try to find... Uh, and it's not hard. You know, I'm grateful for where I live. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for my horses, my family, my health. That's something that traveling and which I've gotten back to doing over the last six weeks or so, I always, I've told people before, I'm more grateful for my health when I'm traveling than ever before. The ability to be able to move freely throughout the world, you go in an airport and the airport ramps are lined with wheelchairs because of people's mobility, you know, challenges or, or issues. The fact that I can carry a heavy suitcase and throw it up in the overhead bin and, <laughs> you know, run through airports as I did last week, uh, you know, those things are not something that I take for granted. The fact that I have a body that allows me to move freely throughout the world is a gift yeah. that I never want to take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Hey, well, you know, this is uh, being recorded in September, end of September. We're going to, we're going to play this in the end of October. I, I would love for you to share like, what, like, what are you most excited about going into Q4 and then going into 2022? <laughs> I'm excited that 2022 is hopefully going to be everything 2021 promised us it would be. <laughs> we came out of 2020, we, we had vaccines, we're like going to get through this. And then we, we thought we had like a two week period there where things looked up and then now we've kind of struggled and it's been a bumpy ride. But, you know, for the speaking industry and conferences and events, everyone was saying, oh, you know, 2021 is going to be amazing because people want to get back and connect with people. And and I have had the opportunity to do that at some conferences and events this month and next month. Um, and people do want to be there. And even the people that you know are attending virtually, if there's a virtual option, 
um, are hoping for the opportunity to be there. So I hope and, and look forward to in 2022 that there are a lot of opportunities ahead for companies and leaders in terms of making an impact on the people that they lead and serve. So that presents me a lot of opportunities to help those leaders grow. And I look forward to doing that virtually if required, um, but also the opportunity to hopefully do that in person and to meet and connect with more people in 2022. So it's going to be right around the corner and I'm predicting a great year. Don't come back and quote me on that if it doesn't turn out. That way. <laughs> I love that. I hope 2022 promises or what uh, 2021 promised us. Yeah, yeah. I, we didn't uh, get the 2021 we were promised. No, <laughs> no, not at all. It, it's interesting. In in May, I remember us. We were planning our conference for September, and we were all so excited because we were like almost out of this. No, yeah, we're yeah. we're in this, and so I we're mean, figuring it out. But again, the good news, and I'm sure you've seen this, Bruce, was you're really. I, I facilitate a roundtable of HR executives, uh, you know, coaching clients that I've had, friends and relationships that I've had. The reality is 2020 and 2021 business-wise for a lot of people was the best year they've ever had. Mm. You know, so I hope and I'm looking forward to that some of that, you know, financial and, and metric success will now translate into opportunities for people. And we're already seeing that with, you know, the great reshuffle, the great resignation, the great, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, people are, are really craving new opportunities. Um, and I'm hoping that there are going to be opportunities for people to take advantage of those on both sides of the equation yeah. in the near future. Yeah. So good. Oh my gosh. This has been so much fun. Hey, I've got two questions left. The first question is I would love to know other than speaking and executive coaching, what energizes you? Horses. Horses. We got to jump right out of the, the work life, but uh, I am passionate to obsess with horses. I have two of my own and they give me life. Isn't that awesome? I love mm -hmm. that. I love the feeling of what energizes. Okay. Here's my last question. And here's my question. One of my favorite questions I like to ask Jennifer and that is Jennifer, 10 years older is knocking at your door and you're going to go answer that door. She's <laughs> what is she going to like? You're going to open that door. What's she going to say to you? Ah, you're living your best life. You know, I, I hope that I'm still doing what I'm doing. And that, again, I wake up every day and say, I love my life and I love what I'm doing. May not be doing exactly the same thing as what I'm doing but I hope I can, can every day acknowledge that I'm living my best life. That just feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh my goodness. This has been so much fun. You're definitely driving in the leadership lane. And I, I'm so grateful for you to come on to the podcast and just share perspective. I know a lot of the stuff that you shared today is going to help some people. So for the people that want to reach out and connect and, and ask you about coming to speak at their company Absolutely. or their conference, how, how's the best way for them to connect with you? You guys skipped right to the front of the line if you want me to say something. Um, but you can find all things Jennifer McClure at jennifermcclure.net. I'm on Twitter at Jennifer McClure. I'm on LinkedIn. You can just put in Jennifer McClure. I should be first because I think I was the first one there. Um, and if you want that personal brand workbook that uh, Bruce mentioned earlier, you can find that at jennifermcclure.net forward slash P as in Paul, B as in brand. I don't know why I didn't say personal brand. PB workbook. So jennifermcclure.net slash PB workbook. And you can get the opportunity to start some of your own self-discovery. 
I'm glad you mentioned that. I will put that link in the show notes so you can get the personal brand workbook. I've downloaded it actually a couple of different times and worked through that. And it's very, very, very helpful. And so you'll get a lot out of that. So I'll make sure that's there. I appreciate you so much. I can't wait to see you again. Uh, and I wish you the best and continued success, my friend. You as well, Bruce. I appreciate you and the opportunity to learn from you. Thanks, Jen. Talk to you later. Thank you.